Open up your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. That's where we're going to be at this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 21. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 19 through 21. Okay, beginning in verse 19, God's word says, But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord. From a pure heart. Father, we ask you to work in us this morning through the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask that you would make us useful uh, to you, to our master. God, we pray for a cleansing. Uh, God, I pray for the gospel to be real in lives this morning. I pray, Father, that there'd be confession and repentance among your saints. I pray, Father, that um, there'd be encouragement uh, given through the scriptures this morning. And Lord, we ask the power of the Holy Spirit to do all of those things. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you remember the context of the book of 2 Timothy, it is the Apostle Paul writing to a pastor named Timothy. Timothy's a little bit discouraged. Uh, We're not sure why, but we do know that throughout the book of 2 Timothy, Paul is continually encouraging this young man, this pastor. I I say young man, he's probably maybe my age or or somewhere, coming middle age, somewhere in that neighborhood, maybe 20s, 30s, 40s, something like that. But Paul is encouraging this pastor to, to keep going, to press forward, to fight the good fight. Paul's using his own example of perseverance to motivate Timothy to keep going. What's Timothy discouraged about? Well, we don't really know that either, but we really assume that it's probably people, okay? A lot of times that's a source of discouragement, isn't it? It's people in your life. And you know, the interesting thing is a lot of times it's magnified when you're in church. You know why it's magnified in your church? It's not that people in church are more discouraging. It's that you expect more of them, don't you? You know, you've got brothers and sisters in Christ and you know, man, this person is is, is justified in Christ and they're joined to Jesus and the Bible is their authority and the Holy Spirit of God dwells in them and you have all kinds of hopes for them, don't you? You know, you expect they're going to live this way and do this and be this and be this for me and and sometimes they really disappoint you. And Paul and Timothy both had some of those guys in their lives. Um, Verse uh, 15 of chapter 1, there's these two guys, Phygelus and Hermogenes, who just fell away, man. They just dropped out. Paul describes it as turning away from me. They, They turned away from Paul. They turned away probably from faith, I think is what he's applying there. And then in chapter two, you got these two guys, verse 17, called Hymenaeus and Philetus. Uh, and, and you know what they've done? Verse, verse 18 says they've swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. These were two guys that were saying, you know what? This whole resurrection deal, it's not for you. You know, you're not going to be raised. The resurrection's already happened. It was it, it just, the Bible's referring to Jesus' resurrection. But you guys, when you die, you're staying in the ground. Man, how discouraging is that, you know? And evidently these guys had been teachers, probably leaders. And man, they've adopted this good, Goofy theology that discounts the resurrection. And, and I imagine Timothy's really discouraged about that, you know? I mean, what, what that teaches me just in those two chapters there, don't name your kids funny names like that, okay? Because they're liable to fall away from the faith. Now, that's probably not an application, but, but it is real that when people disappoint us, 
we get discouraged. So here's how God responds, Paul responds to Timothy about his discouragement. In verse 19, that says our text, he says, God's firm foundation stands. Let's stop right there. What's he talking about? He's talking about the church, okay? He's likening the church to a building. Um, this, this happens a lot in the scriptures. If we go into 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, Paul says, If I delay, you may know how, how you ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of truth. Okay, so he uses building imagery there. Even more so in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, uh, he says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. You hear that? So the image there often in the Bible is of the church as a building. And here's what Paul is telling Timothy. Hey, Timothy, I know you've had some discouraging times. I know some people have bailed out on you. I know you've had people let you down in the church. But you know what? God's church stands. It's just fine, okay? The the people of God will stand. God is going to take care of his church. God is going to bring his church all the way to glory. and, 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 And he knows who are his. I think that's a significant point there that he makes is that the Lord knows those who are his. You know, not everyone who's in the church building is in the church. I mean, that's just real. That's just true. Not everybody that's in a small group is in the church. Not everybody that's in a Bible study is in the church. Those who are in the church, when, when the Bible talks about the church, it's not talking about any one building. You know what? Here at Lincoln Avenue, we've moved buildings, you know? We used to all meet here, and then we went to two services, and now we've got a building across town. You know, the, we, we understand the church is not walls and paint and, 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 and sheetrock. The, the church is people in whom Jesus Christ dwells. And, and Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, the church is fine. It stands. God's firm foundation stands. The, the, the church is rock solid. I know you might be discouraged, but God has his hand on the church and God has put his seal on the church. Notice that in verse 19. He says, the Lord knows those who are his. And this is the seal. I'm sorry. Verse 19, God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. A seal does two things, especially in Paul's day. Number one, it shows ownership. So when God says he's put his seal on the church, what he's saying is he has put his seal of ownership on every born-again believer. The second thing it does is shows genuineness, authenticity. I've got a marriage license. Mine is from the state of Kansas, and it's got the state of Kansas seal upon it. You know what that means? That means that Em and I didn't just go to a barbecue one night and say, Hey, Bubba. Why don't you marry us, you know? And so Bubba got up after we ate, you know, some pork and, and he gave us a little, you know, marriage ceremony. And then he took a Crayola and had, a, had the back of the charcoal box and said, Jason and Emma are married. Signed, Bubba, you know, there you go. You, you know, we didn't do that. We actually went to the courthouse and we got an official document. And, and because of an official document, they put the seal upon it, okay? And so when, when, when Paul talks about the seal, okay, that the seal is on the church, he, he's talking about the authenticity, the, the genuineness of the church is this. The Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. You know what the seal of genuineness is? on a person's life that they're truly in the church and that is that they have departed from iniquity. They've had a personal transformation. There is a fruitfulness that comes about in their life that that is consistent with the Holy Spirit. When Jesus talked about the church in Matthew chapter 13, he said a very similar thing. He told this parable. He said in verse 24, um, he put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in this field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat 
and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, that's significant. This is when they realize it. When the plants come up and bore grain, when they bear fruit, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How, how is it that we've got weeds? And he said to him, an enemy has done this. So the servant said, then do you want us to go and gather them? And he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I'll, I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. What's Jesus teaching us there? You know what he's teaching us? He's teaching us that not everybody associated with the church is truly in the church, okay? Does that make sense? Not everybody who's a member, not everybody who's in Sunday school, not everybody who's in small group, not everybody who sits in a pew or a seat or, or sings or has a Bible. You know, the, the authenticity, the seal of authenticity upon the church is those who bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit, those who depart from iniquity. That, that's the seal of the church. Now, what are we saying here? Are we saying that Christians, true Christians are perfect? We are not saying that. And you know, I get really tired of, of lost people telling me that. You know, you Christians think you're all perfect. Well, what I always want to ask him is, name me one person that's ever said that, you know? I mean, where is this Christian guy that's walking around town going, I am perfect, you know? I'm a Christian and I, I don't even know that guy. You know, I, I don't know any Christian who says I'm perfect. We don't say that. In fact, we affirm that we are sinners. But here's the deal. There has been a fundamental change in a born-again believer that he turns away from iniquity. He's no longer at home in sin. Sin is no longer at home in him. There's been, there's been a fundamental break with sin in his life. First John is probably, I think, the best passage in the Bible uh, to demonstrate that, that principle. In verse 4 of chapter 3 in First John, First John 3, 4, says, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning, you see, making a practice of sinning is different than slipping into sin, isn't it? You know, fall, you know, losing your temper, falling into sin, or getting a little crossways, having a little pity party, and then, then you repent, you get back right with the Lord. That's different than making a practice of sinning, than being in habitual sin, okay? So as everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Verse 5, you know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Verse 6, here's the key one. No one who abides in him, in Jesus, keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. What, what, is, what is John teaching us? John is teaching us that a born-again believer has this seal upon him that, that he can't stay in sin. He can't live a habitual life in sin. God has so transformed him that as he sins, you know what happens? There's a process that happens. The Spirit of God convicts him of sin. The Spirit of God reveals God's truth. The Spirit of God, if he chooses to stay there, will actually make him miserable. Any of you, do you recognize what I'm saying? Have you, have you been made miserable in your sin before? Man, I know exactly what that is. To, to, to kind of buck up against God and say, you know what, I'm going to have this bad attitude. You know what, I don't care, but they made me mad. You know what, I'm, I, I have the right to, to, to harbor bitterness or anger or lust or feel this way or be covetous or insist on having my way. You know what, whenever that happens in me, it doesn't go on very long before God starts making me miserable. That's what happened to David. Psalm 32. Remember, David committed a terrible sin in, in having an adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. Here's what happened in David's life when he did not deal with his sin. David's a believer. Da David is one of God's chosen ones. And so, so what happens in his life? Well, in verse 3 of Psalm 32, it says, When I kept silent about my sin... Or I didn't say about my sin. I'm sorry. I inserted that. When, for when I kept silent... My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. He's, he's miserable. 
Isn't that something? Verse 4. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. You ever feel that way? You ever feel like God's just, he got his hand pressing down on you, you know? My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. You know, you didn't have any desire to, to follow God, to do anything for God. You know why? Because God's hand was pressing upon you. You see, that's the mark of a believer. That's the seal of a born-again believer. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. You make a break with iniquity. No, Notice he says, let everyone who names the name of the Lord. What does it mean to name the name of the Lord? It means to say, I'm a Christian. I, I'm calling out to my Lord. I'm calling out to my King. And what's implied here is that everybody who names the name of the Lord isn't, isn't truly a believer. If they haven't departed from there, if they, if they don't have the mark of the Holy Spirit on them. In Matthew chapter 7, we get, we get a really scary passage. Matthew seven twenty one says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. What's happening here? you got people who are naming the name of the Lord. But you know what? They're, they're, they're not entering the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father, there's that mark of authenticity, mark of genuineness, uh, who's in heaven. Verse 22, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So the seal of ownership upon a believer is the fact that he's making a a break from sin. God is so worked in him that he cannot stay in sin. It's the work of God in us. That's the work of God in us to to make a a definitive break from sin. And and the Bible even goes further in 1 John to say, you know, when, when people like Timothy's dealing with here, these folks that turned away and did not come back, they embraced a false theology, they embraced lies, and they stayed in that pattern in their life. You know, you know what the Bible would say about them? They, they were never of us to begin with. They were never truly in the church to begin with. 1 John chapter 2, verse 19 says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. I think that's exactly what John is talking about. So, Paul, first of all, encourages Timothy. Hey, the church is fine, Timothy. You know, I know you might be discouraged. I know you you might be wanting to quit. You might be thinking that things are falling apart. You know what? God's church still stands, okay? God is taking care of his church. And the true mark of authenticity upon believers' lives in the church is that they, they make a break with sin. They don't continue living in a pattern of sin. Now, the second image that he gives us, here. He goes from the foundation to the house, okay? And in verse 20, he begins to talk about usefulness, which I would say is also a mark of authenticity, okay? Born-again believers want to be useful to the king. They want to be useful to their master. They want to be useful to God. And and Paul is talking to this young pastor, and he's saying, Timothy, you need to be useful in the ministry. You need to be useful in, in the house of God. And so he gives us this imagery. Verse 20, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold, silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable use. Okay? Now, let's stop right there. Anytime the scriptures give us a metaphor, a parable, a picture, we got to be really careful that we don't like misapply it, okay? And, and so what I don't want you to, to apply here is, I don't want you to think what Paul's saying is, you know what, there's all kinds of different believers. There's gold ones, silver ones, wooden ones, clay ones. You know, some are for this use and some are for the other use. You know, God needs fine china. He also needs a dog dish. And, and you're, I'm a dog dish Christian, you know? And, and I, that's, that's a bad application this passage to say, well, you know, I'm one of those dirty dog dishes, you know? Hey, God needs us too, you know? No, 
not, that, that's not what Paul is pressing upon us here. Rather, verse 21, he says, If anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master, ready for every good work. Okay? The point is, you want to be an honorable vessel so that you're, you're a vessel God can use. Now, now, what's he talking about vessels? Well, in every house, you got utensils, right? That's what he's talking about. Cups, bowls, glasses, spatulas, uh, forks, spoons. Now, I mean, that's what he's talking about. God's got the, these tools that God is using, and we are those tools. And what, what, what Paul is saying is, be, be, a, be a tool that God can use. Be a tool that God can use for honorable use. We have a couple of different spatulas in our house. We have one. It, it's, a, it's a black one. It's got a silver, uh, silver. I should have brought it this morning, a silver arm on it. And it's in our, our dish of utensils in our kitchen. And we use it for flipping pancakes and fried potatoes. Pancakes and fried potatoes, okay? So what happens is it's clean. You know, we make sure we keep it clean. We, we have pancakes. We pull that out. We do a little flipping. We put it in the dishwasher. We clean it up. And it's ready to use again, right? Just pull it out. Use it. You feel good about that. You got company that comes over. It's ready to use. We We've got another spatula at our house. It's in the garage, okay? With this spatula, we clean out the cat, the cat litter box, okay? We have a herd of cats. I don't know if you heard that or not, but we have a herd. And uh, we're thinking about being cat farmers. And uh, it's not my decision. It's my family, and I'm trying not to be bitter about it. Uh, but anyway, by the way, have you ever smelled... I mean, cat stuff's bad. I mean, I worked in a feed yard. I worked at Brookover Cattle Company. We had 70,000 head, Okay. That smelled better than the cat box. It really did. So we take this spatula and we scoop out the cat stuff, you know, and and we shake it kind of, you know, so the little bit of cat litter that's not polluted falls back in. It seems like a fruitless exercise to me, but we do it, you know, and and put it in Walmart, tie it up, take it to the curb, you know. Um, Now, here's the deal. That spatula is not for honorable use, okay? If you come over to our house and we're like, we're having pancakes and there's a whole bunch of us because you're there and, you know, we got seven. And so we're like, hey, you know, we need to get out two griddles. Hey, go get that spatula in the garage. Uh-uh. That ain't happening, you know? It's not useful, okay? That thing is, it's banned. It, it, it's not helpful for pancakes, fried potatoes, or any, th- any other type of consumable product, okay? Um, we, we, we get that, right? That's the image Paul is using. We, lots of different ways we can employ that. I, I, I ate at a buffet this week. Uh, we had a church meeting, and so I was there with, with some, of, some of our church folks and uh, went through the line in the buffet. And I, I, you probably do this too, but I always take the plate and look it over a little bit, you know? I took the plate off of there. It had a yellow crusty thing on it, you know? Wasn't real big, but it was enough to, for me to say dishonorable, you know, uh, and I put it aside. I did not put it back on the stack. I did not do that. I put it aside and said, you know, this one is not fit for use. And I got me a clean one. I got, I got one that was fit for use. It's exactly what this, the picture is here is that God looks down and God does the same thing. You know, God's able to use a, an honorable vessel, a vessel that's been cleansed, a vessel that's in usable condition. And, and what the Bible is saying is you ought to want to be that guy. The, you, there, there's a connection here between usefulness and holiness in the church. Okay, there's a connection between those two. Now, I, I'll be the first to tell you God can use whoever he wants. Amen. 
Every once. In the Bible, he used a donkey to deliver his message, okay? So if God can use a donkey, he can really use anybody he wants. He used a guy like Jonah, you know? Jonah's all bent out of shape about the Ninevites. He's got anger in his heart. He's got bitterness. Hey, God still uses him, okay? So I, I am completely affirming that God is sovereign and can use whoever and whatever he wants to do his will, okay? But on the other hand, there is, there is there's great proof in the Bible that God uses clean vessels, okay? And and if we want to be useful in the kingdom of God, we need to be a clean vessel. We need to be a holy vessel. You know, you know, whenever you see the word holiness in the Bible, don't think morality. Uh, A lot of people, holiness, morality, you know, holiness, you know, (laughs) political issues. It's not the same thing. It's not. Not, not, I believe that holiness leads to some, you know, areas of morality. I, I believe that. But holiness really is a word that means I am set apart for God. Okay? Holiness is a word that says, you know, my mind is set apart for God. My lips are set apart from God. My hands are set apart to God. I, my life is being set apart to say, God, I'm for you. I'm for your use. I'm looking to you. I'm offering my mind, my heart, my mouth, my words, my, my, my actions to you. That, that's what holiness is. And so, so the Bible is saying we need to be a holy vessel that's set apart to God. Now, what does it mean to cleanse yourself? Verse 21 says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable. What exactly is Paul talking about? I think there's two things here from the context. The first thing I think he's talking about, honestly, I was not excited that this is what the text said. Have you ever done that? Have you ever kind of read the Bible and you thought you knew what it meant? You're like, oh, and then you read it some more and you read it and you study it and you're like, Oh, he means something else. I didn't really want to say that. You know, but I, I got to be truthful to the scriptures here. I really think part of what Paul is talking about here is, is that Timothy needs to separate himself from these guys with goofy theology. Um, I think that's in the text. You know, I think the context, which talks about in verse 16, avoid irreverent babble. We'll talk about that a little bit more next week. And then verse 17, these two guys that have, have strayed away from true doctrine. And, and the flow of the text, I think when he says... Cleanse yourself from what is dishonorable. I think he's talking about you, you need to make a break from people that are influencing your life toward lies, toward, toward false doctrine. I think that especially because verse 22, where this kind of ends, he says you need to flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call upon the Lord from a pure heart. Folks, this does not at all mean that I'm saying we should not be mission-minded. Please hear me out. You need to build Christ-revealing relationships with your lost neighbors, okay? That's part of being the church, is that we build relationships with, with other people in the world that show them who Jesus is, okay? That's true, okay? But I think what, what Paul is talking about here is that if you're in a situation where you've got people pressing into your life and they're influencing you toward, toward, toward falsehood, toward sin, toward error, man, you've you, you got, you got to make a break there. Proverbs 13, 20 is a verse that I talk to my kids about a lot. And it says, he who walks with the wise will become wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. And I think Timothy, or Paul is telling Timothy here, man, you got to be careful, Timothy. You know, who, who's in your circle? Who's influencing you? Who you're ministering with? Because you're, you're not going to be a vessel God can use if you're being influenced toward, toward falsehood. And then I think the second thing, which I think this is the big thing. As he's telling Timothy, man, you, you need to separate yourself from sin. Separate yourself from sin. Um, verse 22, I think, is, is the key verse there. Flee youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Now, now, what do we mean by cleanse ourselves or separate ourselves from sin? First of all, hear this out. 
We mean the gospel, okay? We mean the gospel. The only way you're going to be clean before God is through the substitutionary work of Jesus Christ. Are we all clear on that? That's the only way, okay? You, you, don't, you, don't, you don't apply this passage by going out and working hard and being good, okay? The only way you're going to be cleansed from your sin is by the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. His death, his burial, his resurrection for you is the only thing that brings you forgiveness of sin Forgiveness or, or escape from the penalty and the punishment of sin. However, okay, as that has happened in your life, there is still a continual need to be right with God. Does that make sense? Are we on the same page? Okay, so, so you come to Jesus, you come to the cross, you, you're connected to Christ through faith and repentance. He forgives your sin, you're cleansed from the penalty and the wrath of God. And now as you begin to live your Christian life, there is a continual need for you to get right with Christ in your life as, as, as sin enters your life, for you, to, for you to be cleansed. And what Paul is saying is, if you're not a clean vessel, you're not going to be very useful to God. Okay? Let me give you some scenarios. If you're, if you're the person that doesn't control your temper, and, and, and you're not managing your, your sin rightly, and you blow up and, and yell at everybody at work, it's really hard to do that and at the same time to be useful to God. In your workplace, you know, it's really hard to cuss everybody out and then turn around and say, hey, guys, please come to my church so you can know Jesus and have what I have. You know, hey, they probably don't want what you got. You know, I mean, it's really hard if you've fallen into this sulking, self-pity, complaining, griping about everything. You know what? I think when God reaches, he's like, yeah. That, that's a dirty one, you know? It's really hard to use that one. It's hard for me to use that for honorable use. I think if you don't pay your bills in your community, it's really hard for you to be useful in showing your community who Jesus is. And so I think the second part of this is Paul is telling Timothy, man, you, you gotta, you gotta flee from sin. You gotta, you gotta, Keep your distance from sin on a practical level. I love this, this verse 22. Flee youthful passions. That word flee, I looked it up in three different Greek lexicons. Every one of them ha- had the connotation of escaping something dangerous. Okay? So, so when it's talking about flee here, the implication is there's something dangerous to flee from. Okay? So, so there's something dangerous, something that can harm you. And, and what, what's, what's harming to us here in this passage is youthful passions. And, and so the Bible is saying you got, you got to flee from sin. you you got to run from sin. Youthful passions. What, what does he mean by that? Some people read that and they're like, hey, you know what? I'm 60, so don't have none of those, you know. No youthful passions in me. I really don't think that that's what Paul means. You know why I don't think that? Because Timothy's an adult, okay? I think when he says youthful passions, he means those, those areas of, of self-control that we tend to lack that are especially difficult in youth. Okay? Here's the reality today. I bet we had a fist fight in our nursery today. I mean, I don't know that for sure, but you know, the number of kids at Fifth Street, the number of kids here at Lincoln, I bet, I bet somebody took a toy and it didn't go well. You know? you know why? Because little kids especially have a hard time controlling their temper. You know? I, I, bet, I bet you somebody, I bet you some kid in our church today had, had, a, had a fit. You know, I bet they had a little fit. You know? Uh, I bet, you know, mom said one donut only and they were like, that's it. You know, that's it. You know, I'm, I'm angry about this thing. Uh, youthful passions. I think that's what he means when, when he's describing youthful passions, but certainly they're not just for youth. Okay. Let me give you some examples. Remember Moses. Why didn't Moses go to the promised land? Cause he lost his temper. Moses got angry. He let that anger settle simmer inside of him. 
You know, God told him exactly what to do. Instead of just doing what God told him to do, he wanted to teach the children of Israel a lesson. He struck the rock and he missed the promised land. David, remember David? The latter part of David's life is a disaster, a catastrophe. You know why? Because he didn't manage his passions. You know, and by the way, David was probably an older man at this time. He didn't manage his passions. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. And man, all kinds of, all kinds of consequences came from that. Remember Achan? Uh, Achan's entire family, including himself, were stoned to death because he didn't control his selfish coveting. And, and I think what we see from that is, friends, sin is deadly. I mean, I, I, it will ruin us. It will keep us from, from usefulness. It, 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 will, it will keep us from being an honorable vessel in the house of the Lord. And so what Paul says is you've got to flee from it. Okay. Now, what flee means is an immediate departure away from it. Right? We were riding out on 34th Street about a month ago. I, don't, I can't remember if I told you guys this story or not. We were riding about 34th Street about a month ago, and uh, there's these dogs that come out. It's about a mile before the Adams house, before Kathy and Gary, if you know them, they go to our first service. And it's about a mile before their house, so it's not their dogs. Somebody thought it was their dogs. No, it's not their dogs. But anyway, there's these dogs, and one of them especially, we've always said, this guy's not running for fun. He's running for meat, okay? He, he's... He's serious about this. We've always said this about this dog. And so we're, we're riding out there. And uh, I, I saw him first. I saw him out of the corner of my eye. And so I just, I just, in an act of self-preservation, I didn't mean any malice with this, but I didn't say anything to the other guys. I just took off, okay? Because I have, a, I have a, a very active fleeing reflex, okay? When I see something dangerous... I flee. I mean, that, that I, and what that meant is I rode as hard as I could. So I took off and I was thinking that he would get the other guys. Okay. But he's on a track for me, you know? And so I, I'm, I'm going as hard as I can. Cause that's what you do when you flee. He's got an intersect course. Randall Gabriel can testify to this. He saw it. That dog lowered its head and rammed into my bike, you know, just straight into it. I mean, he was really going for lunch. I mean, he, he was, he's not messing around. Oh, to a T, I've told that story to probably 10 people. Almost every one of them said this afterward. Well, what'd you do then? <laughs> what I do then, I kept riding, you know, as hard as I could to get away. Flee. I mean, I don't know what other answer there is. Well, I stopped and said, hey, what are you doing getting my bike? You know, I mean, no, man, I got out of there. That's what Paul's saying. Flee youthful passions. You know what we need in our life? We need a, a knee-jerk response to sin. Okay? Whenever you see it in you, man, you, you go. You get, you get away from it. You repent of it. You take it to Christ. You get an accountability partner. You, you pray. You ask somebody to pray for you. But you, you don't let it be there. You're afraid of it. You ought to be afraid of sin in your life. You really ought to. That's a, that's a good thing. You ought to be fr- afraid of, of, of a rotten attitude, of a sinful attitude. You ought to be afraid of, of bitterness and anger. You ought to be afraid of lust. You, you ought to be afraid of covetousness. You ought to be afraid of pride. Man, when you start having these feelings, man, I tell you what, I'm so, they better not. Man, you need to be afraid of that. That'll hurt you. You need to flee. Get away from it. Get some distance. You know, I, I'm convinced that there are people who have fallen into sin simply because of this reason. They did not act immediately. Okay? They didn't act immediately. I mean, that, that's the reason. Is that if they, if they would have acted immediately, they would have got out. I think there's people who have, I think there's people who, who have ruined their marriages. They've, they've gotten into an affair and just blew their marriage apart. And the reason was there, there was a, a crucial time there. And they didn't act immediately. 
when there was flirtation, when there was something began to go wrong, they recognized this is sin. And instead of running, they stayed around. There's a great, there's a great uh, text or a great phrase in the Old Testament. It's about Lot. Remember the story of Lot? And it says that, um, it says when God told him to get out of Sodom, it said this. It said, Lot lingered. He lingered. Man, it's really dangerous to linger. It's really dangerous to know your heart is not where it needs to be and say, you know what? I know it's not where it needs to be, but I'm going to keep it that way a little longer for whatever reason. Or maybe I'm enjoying this. Or maybe I can push it a little further. Man, that's a dangerous thing. We need to have a knee-jerk reaction away from sin. The other side of that coin is to pursue righteousness. You see that in verse 22? Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. Both flee and pursue are words of of aggressiveness. They're words of of effort and energy. Man, this is not going to be easy to be useful. Man, I had someone after, after the second service... Uh, came up to me and said, man, pastor, man, this is what I've wanted. I want to be useful. I want God to use me. And I just seem, can't seem to get in this church to the point where I'm doing something. And, and I just had to kind of bring him down and say, listen, listen, it's not going to be easy. You know, I mean, I mean, there's, there's some work involved here. You know, you need to get your life where it needs to be. You know, you need to get yourself positioned where you need to be. This is my favorite part. If you, re- if you read this passage before and thought about it, you, you could have picked out my favorite part. Are you ready? Flee youthful passions. This is verse 22. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Man, Paul had to bring in Christ in relationships, didn't he? For those of you who think I make this up, it's here. It's everywhere, is it not? We're, 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 we're living this out in connection with other believers. I'm telling you folks, you don't grow in isolation. It just doesn't happen. You, you grow in connection with other believers. You know, what's interesting there is we flee and we pursue along with those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. I tell you, one of the most encouraging things is when you're fleeing from sin and you got a brother running beside you. That's good stuff, isn't it? But you know, you know what we're tempted to do? Whenever we recognize sin in our life, instead of yelling for help, get a brother to flee with us. You know what we do? A lot of times we want to close all the shades so nobody sees. But you just made it a whole lot, a whole lot harder to flee. You know what? You just made it a whole lot less likely that you will flee. Notice the implications here real quick. We're done. Almost. Okay. Ready? If a person cleanses himself, there's several things here. This is in verse 21. If anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. That's awesome. God, God's going to use you. Set apart as holy. You'll be useful to the master of the house. And then notice this last phrase. Ready. Ready for every good work. You, you know what I've seen in my own life is that when, when I have a sinful attitude, when I've got bitterness against someone, when I've got a poor me attitude, when I've got a prideful attitude, when I've got about, you know, hey, I'm, I'm doing more work than everybody else and someone owes me. And whenever I've got that attitude, you know, the real deal about that, I'm not eager to serve Jesus. I'm not eager to serve him. You know, let's make this real practical. When, when I'm in odds with Emma, I am not wanting to preach a sermon. I'm not. Uh, you know, the great thing about Emma and I, 
We, we are never at odds Saturday night. It just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. You know why it doesn't happen? Because I repent quick because I know what's coming, you know. And, and I, 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 don't, I really don't want to preach if I'm at odds with Emma. I, I, I won't. I, I never have. I'm not saying we haven't got at odds with her. I have, you know. Let me tell you some time. No. Uh, but, but I'm not eager to serve Jesus when my heart is not right. And I think that's what he's saying. If you cleanse yourself, you'll be, a, you'll be an honorable wrestle. Ready. You'll be ready. I think a lot of Christians aren't very effective. They aren't very useful in the kingdom. You know why? Because sin has gotten in and zapped their eagerness, their readiness for the things of God. Let's, let's be people God can use. Let's be clean plates, shall we? That's a good image. Let's be clean plates. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood and your sacrifice on the cross that enables us to be cleansed, that enables us to be forgiven of our sins. God, it's only through Christ, Jesus. We, we confess that. Uh, Lord, help us to, to repent quickly, to flee from sin, uh, to depart from iniquity. I pray that the mark of genuineness would be all over our church. And God, we, we want to be a clean church. God, we want to be a church you can use uh, to, to minister to our community, to be on mission for, for the kingdom of God. Lord, please make, make Lincoln that. God, help us to flee from sin. In Jesus' name, amen.